Spread Great Ideas is meant to increase the signal in a world awash in noise. I'm your curator and host, Brian David Crane, and it is my quest to share the learnings of the world's most interesting people, the disruptors, the outliers, the libertines, and those who've been unconventionally successful so that we can become a little bit wiser together. Phil Craig is the leader of the Referendum Party here in South Africa, a single-issue party whose goal is to call a referendum on the Western Cape province seceding from South Africa. According to recent polls, 68% of Western Cape voters support holding a referendum and 58% already support independence. We talk South African politics and economics, why the Western Cape is so different from other provinces here, internal and external migration trends in South Africa, what a free and independent Western Cape province would look like, and why Westerners, and especially Americans, who believe in political self-determination, should care about this issue for moral as well as geopolitical reasons. I must say, I admire Phil's efforts. And now, here's the show. It's a pleasure, and thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be with you. Thank you. So tell me a little bit as far as... What has happened recently with respect of your trajectory as far as Cape Independence Advocacy Group goes, and then your decision to start the referendum party? How did that come about? Sure. So in many ways, the referendum party is effectively a project of the advocacy group. So we we started the advocacy group about four years ago um, with the view of, of progressing this idea of Cape Independence, which at that time was, was rarely a fringe idea. It's much, much more mainstream now. And and part of that was to was to lobby the provincial government, uh, which ironically is kind of ideologically aligned with us in, in terms of its core values, uh, but wouldn't see secession as the solution. So, uh, yeah, there was always this sort of slightly awkward relationship between ideological allies who who want different outcomes, and uh, and our intention was always to create sufficient pressure uh, on the provincial government because unusually in the South African constitution. The, the, the premier, the provincial premier, has the authority to call a referendum. He doesn't need the national government to either consent or to approve of that. Um, so that was really our purpose. And actually, fairly early on, we did we did get that consent. We did get an agreement on a referendum. But ultimately, the, uh, the, 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 the provincial party that leads the government in the Western Cape reneged on that deal. Um, was then unwilling and is now unwilling to call a referendum, even though it knows that the majority of voters in the province favour a referendum, and even more strongly, ironically, amongst its own voters as a party. Um, and that effectively, you know, led us in a situation where we had no choice then but to, to oppose them electorally. We're not trying to get power. We certainly we're not likely to get anywhere near sufficient votes anyway, but that's not our ambition. We're just trying to create political leverage here um, against the provincial government to, to, to force it to effectively listen to its own voters. And so how does the, yeah, the parliamentary system work at a provincial level? So let's assume... What based on your polls, what do you think you might get? Ten percent, twenty percent, five percent. You know, what what are you able to achieve based on uh, based on getting some sort of power inside of the Western Cape provincial government? So, look, we we're targeting a hundred thousand votes, which would be about five percent of the uh, of, of of the likely voters in this election. Uh, look, we only launched the party in November. It's yeah, this is this has sort of happened quite. And one of the fortunate things is that the the provincial government pursued some delaying tactics for some time, which to a certain degree quite effectively, uh, because we sort of held you know we, we sort of held off, hoping that they would. Uh, believing that they would honour their, their previous agreement. Um, so, uh, but that's enough. And we're, and we're not fighting alone. There are other political parties who are already advocating for, for, for Cape independence. So so collectively, um, we would like to think that we'd get about uh, 7 or 8% of the, of the vote in the Western Cape. And, and that, that will be enough to force a referendum on Cape independence, I'm fairly sure. And that would, so that would include, as driving around here in uh, the Western Cape the past couple weeks, that would include Cape Exit, the... Um they have a blue and white, uh, yeah. Like they, they, they've 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 created like a Western Capes flag uh, iconography, and there's also a yellow and green one. The VP, yeah. If I get the acronym right, yeah. So the three of you would basically be able to have control seven seven percent of uh, would get seven percent of the vote. Yeah. yeah, perhaps more. So you got the Freedom Front Plus, who are currently that's the one with the, that's with the green and yellow. Then uh, um, look, uh, 
actually in English it's FF plus Freedom Front plus, but they but the, the, the predominantly an Afrikaans speaking party, so it's Freyades Front, which is a, just the same thing in Afrikaans, and that's where the, the VF comes from. Um, and they had about three percent in the last election. They support Cape Independence. Uh, the Cape Independence Party, which also uses the name Cape Exit, is is that's quite a small party. They got about half a percent of the of, of the vote. So they had about three and a half percent of the vote. There was another party actually, the Cape Colour Congress, who who supported Cape Independence in the last election. So last time out, we got about five point three percent of the vote collectively. Um, mm-hmm. the referendum party didn't exist. And under this occasion, we need to do more. I mean, effectively, we need to, you know, we've, we've got a PR system of government, a proportional representation is our system of government here. So effectively, we need to, that opens up the possibility of what we call kingmakers. You know, you, the, your provincial government now gets 47 or 48%. It needs to find somebody else to get it over the line. Uh, and that very much is our strategy. And because ideologically, you know, we would be a party that, uh, you know, a single issue party, but most of our members will be broadly centre right. Um, then, with the, you know, the provincial government is centre right, the Freedom Front Plus is centre right. Um, the Freedom Front Plus and the provincial government, which is the Democratic Alliance, are already in multiple coalition governments at municipal level throughout the province. So, we would be the, the natural allies, and they would struggle to find other allies than us. And ultimately, you know, we're not pushing them very hard. We're pushing them to, to do something that polling says 79% of their own voters want. So it becomes quite an easy deal. Um, you know, and, and one of the problems you've got with the Democratic Alliance, which is the party that's leading the provincial government, is as a national party, 70% of its voters are outside of the Western Cape. So you have this conflict of does it act in the best interests of the people in the Western Cape who elected it provincially, or does the does the reality of, of, of political machinations mean it acts in the best interests of the DA, uh, the Democratic Alliance of the DA, um, on the basis of its national interests? And unfortunately, that's what we've got, yeah, the, the political interests of the DA on a national scale. Um, are taking precedent over the, uh, the interests of the Western Cape people in the provincial election, and that's what's kind of forced this situation. Um, but I mean, you know, so, so, it's, so it's a relatively easy situation to unpick if we can get that critical political leverage. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. And so what has happened with the DA as far as, at, I was reading before the call, they've, they had put forward this provincial powers bill or a devolution bill. I don't remember the exact name of it. It hasn't really looked like it hasn't moved at the, uh, the federal level or at the national level. And so is their, their middle ground is to try to advance more autonomy for the Western Cape while also maintaining that the Western Cape stays part of South Africa. That's their general strategy. Yeah, look. So effectively, that, that 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 their strategy is one of containment, um, and and that bill actually is 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 you know is 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 really a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It, 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 that that bill particularly was was designed to to um, take the sting out of the Western Cape People's Bill, so that. And, and I was involved in, in you know, intricate, in, intimately in that. I, I, I conceived the Western Cape People's Bill. I led the legal team that wrote it. And I consulted with the DA on, on their Western Cape Provincial Powers Bill. And we tried to negotiate a bit to compromise around those things. Um, look, in essence, the, 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 the DA um, support the devolution of powers, absolutely. In principle, they support federalism. So they'd like South Africa to change from being a unitary state to a quasi-federal unitary state into a full federal state. Um, Although in practice, they're not willing to do what it takes to get there. So um, after the 2021 elections, we we, uh, formed with them. In fact, it was our idea. We, we, We conceived this thing called the Western Cape Devolution Working Group. And what we said is, look, let's get together all of these centre-right political parties and civil society, all of all of these people who believe that actually a measure of autonomy is critical for the Western Cape. And let's not worry about the end result. Let's not worry about whether you're a devolutionist or a federalist or a secessionist. Let's just start getting power away from Pretoria where it's being abused and to the Western Cape. Um, and and we worked with the you know, we like I say it was it was it was our project, but the DA were involved, the Freedom Front Plus were involved, two other political parties involved, Afri Forum, Solidarity, and a whole lot of academics. So it was a really powerful working group. The Western Cape government, the city of Cape Town, um, 
and and out of that. Uh, but it is always the case. The difficult with the, with the, with the DA, and you you'll understand this from around the world. They've been in power in the Western Cape for fifteen years now. They've become the status quo. Um, so, so therefore, you know, they don't really want to turn the tables over. They don't really want to push a radical agenda. It suits them to sort of go slowly, slowly, uh, and 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 to, because actually they don't really want to, you know, the status quo suits them quite well. So we were pushing for much more radical. Uh, they, they, they were elected in 2019 provincially on a ticket of devolution. So they already supported devolution, but they couldn't deliver it. And, and actually, the coming at the end of this term, they said they were going to fight for the devolution of policing of rail. And at the end of the term, they failed and they failed spectacularly. They've got no possible prospect of, of delivering either. They've asked and, and, they've, and they've been unceremoniously uh, t- told no. And um, we then sat down with them and said, well, look, actually, international law, which then is, is manifested in the South African constitution, provides some really strong opportunities um, for for autonomy. Um, you know, everybody has a right to self-determination. Uh, the West South Africa recognises that right. It's in, it's in several international charters, which South Africa has, has signed and ratified through parliament. So let's use international law, which we were much more familiar with as secessionists. To to, to 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 drive the, the internally, and we said, look, let's start by writing a Western Cape People's Bill, which claims the right to self determination for the Western Cape people, and then you can go back for devolution or federalism or whatever else on the basis of asserting a right, as opposed to um, just asking. Um, and the the, the 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 DA were, as often the case with, with them, you know, very cautious. Initially, they were keen on the idea. Um, but ultimately just didn't have the courage to bring the bill. And in the in the final reckoning, we then sat down with the Freedom Front Plus, who'd been waiting in the wings, and they said, well, they'll bring the bill. And we said to the DA, look, if you're not going to vote for this bill, which would deliver federalism, which is supposed to be your policy and not ours, and you're not willing to vote for this bill, then we're going to make you vote against this bill and show people that actually you're saying you want federalism, but you're not even, you know, never mind, and you're offering federalism as a compromise to secession. But actually, you're not even willing to do what it takes to get federalism. So we, so we, so we wrote that bill, and the Freedom Front Plus said the table might be. And then suddenly, the DA then quickly wrote this bill, the Western Cape Provincial Powers Bill, the one that you're talking about, and said, "Well, here's here here here's a federalism bill. Now let's let's pass this one instead." And of course, and 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 we looked at it and said, "Well, this isn't a federalism bill. This is a devolution bill, and it relies on the consent of national government. It's, you were just moving deck chairs around on the Titanic here." Um, the bottom line is they, they haven't given you it for the last five years and they're about to give you it now. And, and we said it's fine. It was quite a good bill in that it created an obligation on the Western Cape to seek additional powers. But then it needs to be passed alongside the Western Cape People's Bill, which acquired the right to claim those additional powers. And we said, let's pass the two bills together. And they said no. So they've obviously pushed this bill and actually then got legal opinions from the parliament said this bill actually won't pass constitutional muster. But they've just pressed ahead anyway. And as you say, this week, the the public hearings are going ahead. The ANC have been fighting to close those down. So you have this strange situation now that the ANC and the the DA are squaring off over Cape independence when neither of them support it. And and this was a compromise bill from from the DA. So from our point of view, there's a certain amount of sort of schadenfreude watching this we support the bill we're glad the da brought this bill but actually their motivations is, was, was effectively to try and undermine the other bills and get out from this corner uh, of you know, to try and placate the western cape people with with effectively something that was that, that wasn't quite what people think it is um, and the consequences it's blown up in their face and we want the bill passed but actually we want them to realise, listen, there is no happy solution here. There is going to be no you know, kumbaya with the ANC. You, you know, you're going to have to get real about this. Uh, and actually, you need to pass the Western Cape People's Bill. And actually, more important than that, you need to call a referendum on Cape independence. Even if you're a federalist, your best way to negotiate federalism is to get a mandate for independence and try and compromise with the national government as opposed to constantly go cap in hand. So that, that's the kind of the, how the scenario has played out. From our point of view, we, we effectively, we, we've recognised devolution isn't possible. We've established that federalism isn't possible because the DA aren't willing to actually do what it takes, which brings us right back to, to, to secession, which is what we wanted all along. But effectively, the middle ground has been taken off the table now and it's Cape independence or nothing effectively. Uh, and, uh, you yeah, guess that's kind of okay with us too and what happens if great summary thank you so what happens if in this election yeah how do you see the numbers shaking out both at a federal level let's say and 
you know, so let's let's assume you get to the seven percent. You then become the kingmaker in the Western Cape. The DA is forced to uh, push forward with, yeah, basically push forward. You've created leverage against them. They're they're in a they're between a rock and a hard place. They push at the federal level for this, and you have what what does it look like at the federal level? Like the EFF is the kingmaker, and the ANC doesn't make to fifty percent, or the DA somehow forms some sort of like what does it look like at the federal level post? So. And at the federal level, you mean the, the national level, the national government? Yeah, thank you. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so look, look. I, I think it's fairly clear what's going to happen at national level now, and I think one of the ironies is is is, is that the pollers, the pollsters, don't really dispute the reality. What happens is, for their own reasons, yeah, politicians and many many voters have kind of got their heads in the sand because the because the reality is a really really uncomfortable one. So what's likely to happen? is the ANC are almost certainly going to fall below 50%, which is in theory what all of the sort of the opponents of the ANC say they want. Um, The danger is that right now the ANC is a really corrupt, terrible government, totally incompetent, uh, yeah, and really, uh, but... In real terms, well, I, I'm going to be careful with my words. You know, it's destroyed the livelihoods of people in the Western Cape. You know, we're sitting with economic growth, you know, all of South Africa, I should say. You know, we're sitting with, with, with anemic economic growth, you know, colossal uh, unemployment, terrible crime. So, so they're certainly not benign in that thing. But ultimately, ideologically, they're relatively benign. They're not. They're not calling for genocide. You know, they they've turned down uh, expropriation of, of, of all property. Uh, you know, so that's so the, so the really ridiculous Zimbabwe-esque policies they've averted. Now they're going to fall below 50 percent. When they fall below you know, 50 percent, they are going to have to make up their votes and they're going to look for their votes on the ideological left. And they are going to be forced into government with the people who are advocating for these extraordinary extreme policies. And the EFF as the third largest party, which is a breakaway from the ANC, is the biggest threat. And what are the ANC calling for? What are the EFF calling for? The the the, the, the privatization uh, of of sorry, the nationalization of, of all uh, state-owned industries, the nationalize of, of, of major industries, sorry, of the state-owned ones are obviously already nationalized. And the expropriation of all property rights. In other words, all property belongs to the to the state. And actually when asked by the BBC, uh, you know, listen, uh, uh, they're not they're not ruling out the, the 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 genocide or the slaughter of white people just yet. So I mean, we're talking about a genocidal organisation um, that is deeply, deeply racist, far, far extreme left, and they are the most likely partners. So so the ANC are going to become infinitely more dangerous. Um, after, 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 I would, I would much rather have them at fifty-one percent than have them at forty-seven percent, because actually, at fifty-one percent, they are relatively benign. They're a disastrous government. Um, but I mean, we're not talking about total, total Zimbabwe implosion. If they end up with the with the EFF, that's what we are talking about. We are talking about a catastrophic failure of South Africa, and and, and, and quite possibly, uh, you know, with with murderous intent to go with that. Um, the on the other side, you've got this fight, and what we've got on the other side is you've got all of these these groups allying, allying under what they call the multi uh, multi party charter, trying to summon up uh, enough votes. Uh, but the reality is they are going to fall woefully short. The current polling has them at thirty six percent. They were at thirty three percent three years ago, so they've managed to make three points up. And those parties are deluding themselves. And still to this day, four months from the election, they're 15 points short of a majority and are claiming that they can still get it, which is just absolute insanity. And what's worse is they're they're convincing people that this is possible because people are absolutely desperate. And and the danger is that stops people taking stock of, of what they really should be doing. And the reality is, the, the South Africa is, is has an has this strong ideological divide that runs through. You know, you've got one part of the population that effectively is 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 um, uh, African nationalistic, Africa for Africans, racially driven, left wing, uh, basically what's race based policy, centralisation of control, communist effectively, but yeah, with, 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 without some of the trimmings. And on the other side, you've got this this. Population is relatively Western-leaning population uh, that is that leans towards the free market that wants genuine non-racialism, and and you and the only province in South Africa that 
always votes for that is the Western Cape. So that's where Cape independence comes from. It's kind of like, well, okay, we, we can't do anything about the rest of South Africa because people are voting for that government, however bad it is, that our elections are broadly free and fair. And um, in the Western Cape, for 30 years, the majority of people have never once voted for that government. Uh, we're not electing it. And the only reason we're having all of those disastrous policies hanging over our head is because we're choosing to remain part of South Africa. And if we opt out of South Africa, we, we, we walk away from all of those problems. And, and yeah, you know, that, that, that's the essence of Cape independence. And obviously, it's very, very frustrating watching the mainstream political parties who obviously have great clout and influence kind of dismissing Cape independence as as, as 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 not necessary, as don't worry, we're going to save the the, the and, and one of the interesting things that we've seen is the, the exact scenario that they want to play out. They're not even going to get to there, but it but it, we saw it in Johannesburg uh, in 2021. They, they actually got the ANC to 34% of the vote, the EFF to 11%. So that left-wing coalition suddenly only got 45% of the vote. And what they now call the multi-party charter got 46% of the vote. And, they, and, and that was then hailed as this massive breakthrough. The reality is that, they, that, that multi-party charter is so diverse, they can't agree on anything. And, and the net result is, it, two years later, Johannesburg has turned into an absolute disaster. Service delivery totally collapsed. Um, and the, the DA itself then called for fresh elections in 2023, saying this city is literally ungovernable and all of its people are suffering. So you have this remarkable situation where the policy that failed abjectly in Johannesburg, um, they are now proposing as the, as, 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 as the sort of you know, the, 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 the fix-all solution for South Africa. And yeah, it's insane. It's insane, unfortunately. Yeah, I <clears throat> so anecdotally coming back here, uh, we we spent five months here and um, two years ago. Now we're back, and at the federal level, what you see is both the failure of Transnet and the failure of Escom as the two largest. Yeah, the two most glaring, from what I've read, with Cape Town, and you have this this uh, the strife in uh, the Red Sea, and it would seem a glorious opportunity for these ports in South Africa to make a ton of money and handle uh, additional cargo freight, and the port of Cape Town can't handle it, the port of Durban can't handle it, and ESCOM, which is also a state-owned enterprise, uh, just doesn't seem to be able to get out from underneath load shedding. I was just watching an interview with uh, Andre de Reuter and read his um, excellent book, Truth to Power. And I think that at the federal level, it just it's it's clearly this incompetence is it's widespread it's theft. One thing I like about the South Africans is they come up with these euphemisms to sort of soften the blow of things. State capture is uh, the way that theft is called, and load shedding is uh, when the power's off. But I think that, yeah, so like inside of South Africa, it seems like what's happening is that there's also this term semigration where you have people from Joburg who are moving down to the Western Cape. They're selling their property or, yeah, is this like retirees or is this people who are working age? Like who's who's driving this semigration? Well, I think everybody. So ultimately, <clears throat> I think, <clears throat> yeah, it's an extraordinary situation. If you if you start to look at this at the skilled population of South Africa, everybody is busy making the plan. There's a, there's a saying in South Africa, uh, a burmaka plan. Uh, you know, for the Afrikaners, the other day, every day, the day, whenever there's a problem, we'll find a solution. And at this point in time, everybody is sitting. I don't know. I have seen the statistic. I can't remember the percentage of skilled people are thinking leaving this country is absolutely astronomical. It's certainly more than half of them. And I think people are saying, "Well, what do I do? Do I go and move to 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 you know, Europe? Do I go and move to the States? Do I move to Canada? Do I move to Australia? Or or, or do I move to South to, to the Western Cape? And in the Western Cape, in some ways, you know, you can buy yourself a little bit more time. Uh, you know, the Western Cape, we have to be absolutely clear. I so wished it wasn't the case because I live here and all my assets are here. Uh, you know, definitely has not got a a a a, a rosy long term future. You know, at the end of the day. South Africa will catch the Western Cape up. But for now, because we have this other government that at least um, uh, yeah, manages relatively competently and honestly and tries to appoint on merit and has strong fiscal disciplines, that, it, that at least in some of the areas we've created a relatively functional society and so much more functional than the rest of South Africa. 
that many people are saying, well, look, I'm just going to move to the Western Cape. You know, we, we so for example, where and, and uh, a lot of the things that the Western Cape is doing are things that can help itself. So, uh, you know, 80 or 90 percent of the jobs in South Africa have been made in the in the Western Cape, even though we represent 11 percent of the population. And um, the Western Cape has already made steps. So it's so it's busy creating its own electricity and in five years time. Load shedding uh, blackouts, as you say, the proper term blackouts will be finished in the Western Cape because the local governments have just basically started generating their own energy. They're not even allowed to by law. They've ignored the law. They've gone out to the market and they basically are going to fill in the gap and, and create electricity. Um, you know, so you 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 have this resilience. So the Western Cape now offers and, and, and people say, well it's like a completely different country. And it is like a completely different country. You know, literally the the way the roads are kept, the way the hospitals work, the way that the schools work, uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we're not without problems because we absolutely do have problems, um, but people are then moving from upcountry to this more functional society and hoping that somehow um, that they can kind of you know get outrun communism. But the, you know, the reality is, that you I mean, and I'm using the word communism in, in its broader sense. The reality is, you can't run outrun communism because what follows you is all of the people who voted for communism too, and that's exactly what's happening in the Western Cape. And it, you know, the poorest province in the in South Africa is the Eastern Cape, which is next door. It's only ever been governed by the ANC. It give the ANC an, an overwhelming endorsement in these elections without a shadow of doubt. And yet in the in the in the last decade, about 15 percent of its population has moved to the Western Cape to run away from what it's voted for. And when it arrives in the, those when those people, they settle land illegally in the Western Cape on a mass scale. And we know from polling when they get here, they vote for exactly what they've run away from. And that is and we're seeing this uh, serious demographic shift of the population in the Western Cape. And I have no issue with the race part of that. I have an issue with the ideological part of that because, because eventually that the, the, the Western Cape is going to is going to end up voting for communism and that's the end. And that's why Cape independence is so important at the end of the day that actually just saying, look, for people who vote differently, we've got to close the borders now. We've got to seal ourselves off and be able to vote sensibly for, 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 for you know, non-racialism, for these market, but to create this functional state. And then after that, perhaps we can move back and we can, we can help South Africa and we can, you know, we can, we can play a development role. But first of all, we have to save ourselves because in 10 years' time, the Western Cape will look like the rest of South Africa if we don't get Cape independence. Yeah, it's a similar dynamic in the U.S. where California is effectively a third world country. You have the uber rich, you have a widespread, the middle class has totally been hollowed out. The people who voted for these policies, uh, left-wing policies, for lack of a better way to put it, they leave California because it's become untenable. They move to other states and then they vote consistently like they voted in California and bring the the same failed policies from California to elsewhere in the U.S. Colorado is an example of this. There's a lot of talk internally of how to keep Californians from voting to you from moving to your country so you can sort of insulate yourself from this. And it's it's what you're describing with the Eastern Cape or from from voters from elsewhere and in, uh, in South Africa as they come. Um, yeah, as they come to the Western Cape. So then in I think it's interesting as well. So people understand this, like the the demographics inside of the Western Cape versus let's call it elsewhere in South Africa. And also because you have this two policies that I'm aware of this, like BBEE, I might get the acronyms wrong, but this broad-based uh, Black Empowerment, BBBE, um, and you have this, like this, like effectively like a racist procurement um, setup where if you are a state-owned enterprise, you need to buy according to, the, you know, racial characteristics of the owners of the companies. And so, a big part of what's happened in Cape Independence from what I was reading is it's actually these, this group of people called Coloreds that are very pro Cape Independence and very pro referendum party because they're, they're kind of in the worst of both worlds, right? Like they don't, uh, they don't get any of the quote unquote benefits of BBBE. And yeah, do you want to talk about that for a minute? Sure. Yeah. Look, so, that, so, so the Western, so, that, so, so yes, the Western Cape is demographically very different. Ironically, it's the most racially diverse province in South Africa. So, so, so broadly speaking, the, the population of the Western Cape as we currently stand is about 46% what we would call coloured, and um, people who are brown-skinned and often they're, they're 
and they will largely be a, an amalgamation of the original Khoi and the San indigenous people who over time will have then mixed with, with Malay settlers, with European settlers, and actually now it's very difficult to say, you know, who, who's what in there, but, but that's a, a population group that is probably the most indigenous to, to, to Southern Africa, South Africa, and certainly to the Western Cape, um, and, and that's, they, they were the majority that, 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 you know, at this point in time, they're sort of slightly decreasing in relative terms, but they're about 46% at the moment. Then you have the white population at about 16%, and then you have the black population, which is about 20%. Um, and there is a traditional black population, but in, but in 1994, the black population was about 20%, and that's doubled to about 40% as we as we currently speak. So at this point in time... In the Western Cape? Health, in the Western Cape, yeah, and this is through yeah. migration of people coming from running away from the from the Eastern Cape, and and look, and 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 for good reason, the Eastern Cape is a disaster. So I always have to be very careful. I have absolutely no issue with people migrating for a, for a better life. I, I did it myself. You know, I'm not native to the to the Western Cape. You know, I think it just needs to be done in an orderly fashion, and uh, you know, legally and, and obviously without destroying you know what, what what's there when you when you get there. So, um, so, so, and, and, and in terms of Cape independence, it's got strong support amongst white people. It's got the stronger support amongst coloured people. And then, as a sizable majority of, of, of a sizable minority of black people. So, you know, because we mustn't think people you know, vote according to exactly to race. You know, obviously, you'll have a correlation. Um, but I mean, there's yeah, there's there's, there's plenty of, sort of centre right, uh, you know, really intelligently minded uh, black voters who can see exactly the same as as we would see, and there's equally plenty of crazy left wing white people who are absolutely bonkers. So uh, you know, there's there's not an exact correlation with race, but there's some correlation. When it comes to 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 policies, yeah, people just if you, if they haven't lived in South Africa, they just have no idea of what goes on. So we have these two policies effectively. A broad-based black economic empowerment basically means that any any business you want to conduct, race becomes a really strong determining factor. And you know, if you who you buy from, as soon as your company gets over a, a very very small size, you must buy from people that are black owned. You must sell to people that are black owned. You must employ people of a certain race. There are race quotas for what your employees must. Want. Your management team must be a certain race. And it's absolutely insane beyond. And in an extreme examples let's go to something that happens it really happens you can google it and um, but it just shows the craziness so now we find ourselves in a children's uh, senior let's yes 17 18 year old in a senior representative rugby team playing for your province you're now playing for your province and what happens is now there's a quota so on the pitch at all times there must be 10 black people there must be five white people now in in one of the senior games now what happens is the, the, the subs have been used up. All of a sudden, one of the black players gets injured and there isn't another black player to put on the pitch. So they take one of the white players and, and bring on an extra white player and the team wins the game but gets disqualified because even though it was replacing an injured player, they had too many people of the wrong race and therefore literally got disqualified from a, from a, from a senior level competition. That is the insanity of where we are with, with, with race in South Africa. That's what we're fighting against. We're not fighting against, hang on a second, apartheid was terrible and we, and we need to create a fairer society because apartheid was terrible and we absolutely need to create a fairer society. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's the insanity with which we do that. We do, how do we create a fairer society? By creating a vibrant economy which creates work, by creating education, by uplifting people so that ultimately we create opportunities for people and, our, and, and, and we get away from our terrible past. We don't do it by taking the very worst aspects of apartheid and repeating them again uh, ad nauseum, which is exactly where we are now and that's what we're trying to get away from. Yeah, is there, is there a push at all at the federal level? So what is the history of some of these bills as far as um, – like, you know, so you had the national the National Party. There was this transition from the National Party to the ANC under Mandela. And like, when did these policies come into effect? They came into effect in the 90s. Like, like and is there a talk at all at the federal level of actually trying to get rid of these? Um, or because they, they're, they're to me the root of a lot of the stuff, which is it's like very anti-meritocratic, right? Like it, it basically, totally. it's race-based, it's not meritocratic, and it's it's racist. Like if you want to point at a policy, it's like purely racist, these things. Is there any talk of uh, scrapping them? Probably not because the ANC benefits the most from it. 
exactly the opposite. They're being strengthened every year. So every year, right now, they're talking about strengthening. So, so, what, so these policies came in under Tabo and Becky. They came in the late 90s, uh, early early 2000s. And and they they what happens is, is it's a classic case of of of, of left wing politics. Uh, so what happens is you come with this idea which kind of isn't economically sound, but ideologically you convince yourself that we have to do this because it's the right thing to do. You implement your policy, it's a total disaster, it has exactly the opposite effect of what you want. You should sit down and go, okay, well that didn't work, but you sit down and go, well we just didn't do enough of that. So then you ramp up the regulations a bit more and then you sit and then you come along and you say, Oh, well, hang on a second. The the, the boards of of uh, the boards of, of our top hundred companies are all you know fifty percent white, but actually white people make up sixteen percent of the population. Well, the, well, but then we must need to, to to have stricter laws. We must have fines. We must threaten people with prison. Nobody sits down and says, well, what percentage of 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 you know. University degrees went to accountants. Do you know what I mean? You, 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 and, and logically speaking, well, hang on a second. You know, if we have a really fair system, then uh, you know the 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 the, 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 the sort of composition of, of of financial uh, senior financial chief financial officers should be representative of the creme de la creme of the people that came out of accounting. We don't have any of that. We just rattled. Well, there you go. Why is it? Well, white people are just continuing to be racist. This is the system. Let's do more of it. Uh, well, that's not strict enough. So right now we're busy ramping up BE again. Uh, we've just changed last year affirmative action to literally impose in every single industry. We now have quotas. If you have a fish and chip shop, there is a quota for what your race composition must be for your staff in your fish and chip shop. You know, if you if you if it happens to be a mine, you have a different quota. You know, if it happens to be a hotel, and you literally have to go into your industry and say, in my workforce, how should my and actually now it's at senior level and my junior staff must be in this ratio. My middle management must be in this ratio. My senior management, my shareholders must be in this ratio. It's absolutely insane. Now, on earth do you run businesses in that environment? I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's insanity, total insanity. And, and, and this billionaire class of ANC associated politicians or business leaders, they, from what I had understood, they made their fortunes predominantly by getting appointed, appointed to some of these boards that needed to comply with some of this stuff or getting their finger into, yeah, they got on not because of merit. They got on because they were black and they were, they were like, okay, cool. Now we need to have a black board member and we have this one that can nominally serve and we pay them. Is that, is that accurate? No, absolutely. So, you, so what do you end up? You start off with a system where you've got all of these boards. You create a set of rules that you now uh, must have X amount of black people on the board. Otherwise, you can't do business with the state. You can't do business with anybody else. And um, now, now suddenly, then you have this elite class of people who say, "Well, look, you know, I'm the you know." So you have you know, Cyril Ramaphosa is the lead shareholder in McDonald's. In you know, at the end of the day, at one point, I, I could have the numbers right. Cyril Ramaphosa is now our president who was a union leader, so it should be the last person to be sitting on, sat on something like 250 boards. Now, you know, is, is, is rich beyond your wildest imagination. I mean, who could possibly sit on 250 boards? You know, what are you there for? You're not there for anything other than to, than to tick a box. So you create this system where we create the rules, then you fill the rules, and you have these people who are just, you know, it's all about extraction. Now, you know, how do we create a system where we extract value out of the economy? And, and therefore, and, and that's had a totally destructive effect because what happens with people, you know, now, we, now you're, de- you're, de- you're deterring entrepreneurship. You're not starting new companies. The name of the game is, well, how, how, do, how do I leech off somebody else's hard work? How do I leverage my race to, to and actually what we've seen and one of the big frustrations is all of a sudden white people who've been excluded from the economy start to do better and better because they're forced into entrepreneurial environments they 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 they, they, they can't rely on government so they become increasingly innovative increasingly competitive because the market makes them so they literally can't survive otherwise and on the opposite effect you, you're, you're creating this class of people who just become less than you know never build anything never do anything uh, because actually what they end up being is a, a means of extraction, and that's how our economy is 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 laid. And obviously, again, that's a generalisation. There's some brilliant black people out there who are great. It's not it's not everybody, but you have this uh, elite political caste who who are who are you know parasites. Yeah, then day we have you know we have we have tens of thousands of parasites in our economy. And we find you know when when we looked at state capture, as you say, which is just theft. You know, we find people paying. 
you know, 20,000 rand for a wooden-handled mop, you know, which, which is like 100 rands. I mean, what's done with 20,000 rand in dollars? You know, yeah, $1,000. $1,000, uh, yeah. For a, for a wooden-handled mop. I mean, it's, you know, you know where, why? Well, they bought it for $1 and they marked it up 999 They were the preferred supplier. You had to buy from them because they were black. You know, it, 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 you know it, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it makes there's there's analog it's analogous with DEI in the states where you have ironically the group that is it's 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 white men who are excelling under DEI because they're the only ones who have taken received and are able to recalibrate from negative feedback and if you're in one of the protected classes that functions under DEI if you are you know a lesbian black who knows what and and you've never gotten critical feedback in your life then as soon as you get into the workforce you wind up with this somebody telling you that your that, that your work product's not good and you take it as a personal attack on yourself and you think it's based on race and they're just like no what you've what you've done is not good so what's happening at the in the US with DEI and these Fortune 500 companies is they're actually hiring more white men, particularly that came out of the military because they're the only ones that can take constructive feedback. And it's what you're what you're describing with white South Africans here. And yeah, so so what is the I, I think the the, the 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 last question I'm left with is that like this 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 group of talented white South Africans. Yeah, I was looking at the demographic trends before we started. They're still emigrating. There is sort of like a hollowing out of people in their, let's say, 20s to 40s that have that have left or that have a second passport and are like actively looking at leaving. Is that accurate? No, look, absolutely. The the the, the, the popular, the, I think the statistics are something scary. Like, look, and we should say it's not just white people that are leaving; skilled people are leaving. You know, the, it, yeah. Indian, coloured, black. You know, we, we we're hollowing out skilled people because effectively you're sitting in this environment where you where where you know our our currency is worthless. Particularly if you're from the, look, it is slightly different. If you're from the ethnic minorities white colored or Indian um, then you are disadvantaged compared to other people and you start to look and say well you know never mind me I may be fine but what about my children what world do they grow up in you know, in the day you know, it becomes really difficult for you know now that can, they can't play for the sports team because of the wrong color they can't get into university because they're the wrong color they can't get a job in certain sectors because of the wrong color and eventually at some point you go well look I could just go live somewhere else, and 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 I don't have any of this, um, and that causes the great failing because you know, the other state thing is well, hang on a second, but you know you advanced, you advanced, you 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 benefited from apartheid, and now obviously you know there's almost nobody left that was voting for apartheid in the workforce with thirty generations with thirty years past, with more than a generation past that, and, you know it's absolutely insane. So if you you know if you want to just, if you want to somehow um, have a quota against seventy year old men, then then <laughs> fair enough, you know, but actually to be screwed against children that were born 25 years after apartheid finished, uh, you know, is 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 crazy, and, and of course people are you know leaving on mass, and, and, and as you know, you know there's, there's there's a ratio between skilled labour and unskilled labour, so we've got this massive vat of of unskilled labour which we just can't absorb into our workforce, so we have you know un, unemployment rate at about 45 percent, uh, you know, and amongst youngsters up up nearly 70 percent, you know, it's, it's it's, it's, it's catastrophic and it's entirely self-inflicted. Yeah, South Africa has got minimal wealth. It's got assets. It's got space. Uh, it's, it's got infrastructure. Um, Amazing yeah, weather. Yeah, but yeah, world-class institutions which which are all getting degraded. But I mean, they're kind of still there. We've got a you know, massive rail network, universities. You know, you know, mineral wealth probably more than most other nations on earth. You know, South Africa doesn't have to be a poor country. It's vast. You know, it's a million square hectares. Um, and we've you know we've got a population of seventy million. I mean, it's 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 you know, South Africa should be absolutely sailing. Uh, and and it's not purely because of self-inflicted policy. South Africa is a man-made disaster. And what, your vision for the Western Cape, if and when it's able to secede, what does that look like? It's on the model of a Singapore or a Hong Kong, or what does it? What 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 is it? It's it's non-racialist, but what does what does it look like as far as what what do you see? 
So look, what, what, what do we see? So first of all, eff effectively, what South Africa should have been the rainbow nation. So we say, right, hang on a second. We just close the border. We, elect, we, we know how we've been voting for the last 30 years. We carry on voting broadly the same way. We create a, a market-orientated economy. We, we propose merit. We fix our schools, our educations. We have, a, we have a, a, a decent tax regime. We encourage investment. You know, obviously, South Africa is very anti-business. Uh, now, all of a sudden, we're pro-business. Uh, we, we, yeah, we sort of, yeah, the last 10 years, the, the Western Cape has an average economic growth of 1.1% and an average population growth of 1.6%. Yeah, everybody is getting poorer. Suddenly, yeah, the Western Cape should be having a 10% growth rate like Rwanda. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's got ports. It's, it, it, it's got infrastructure links. It's got a really skilled, still a skilled workforce. Uh, you know, it's got in, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people that speak English extraordinarily well. It's got a, a fintech sector, it's got an agri sector. Uh, do you, I mean, it's, it's, it's really good for renewable energy. There's all sorts of things that this is that the Western Cape has got. You see, suddenly, just by taking away all of those bad policy choices, that we suddenly unlo unlock the potential of, of, of these people. I and mean, you have this massive diaspora of people who are desperate to come back. South Africa is a magnificent place to live. You know, Cape Town even now is voted, what, second best city in the world. People love the Western Cape. People will come back in their, in their, in their, their when, when they can come here and prosper. And all of a sudden, it'll become... I, I, we laugh, not economic tiger, because it become the economic lion. I don't know what, what do we what do we call it, but we but we create an, an economist often say, you know, Western Cape becomes this giant special economic zone. Here we are on the African continent, and it kind of links east meets west. Um, you know, and suddenly, you, you know, you, you have this special, special place. And in many ways, like Singapore, but on steroids. I mean, Singapore is 700 square square uh, uh, kilometers. Uh, you know, the, 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 yeah, it, it, it fits 30 times or 40 times over or more into into the Western Cape. Um, you know, so but, but we it, like Singapore, we're on this major shipping route, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, like Singapore, we have these three race groups. So there are some similarities with, uh, with, with, with Singapore. But I think that the Western Cape will outperform Singapore or Hong Kong. It'll, it, you know, it, it'll become its own entity. And I think all of that pent up frustration, all of that potential that's been that's been uh, yeah, under well, I want to think of the Afrikaans word, sorry, but but you're pressed down and suppressed will will suddenly you know, burst forth and come to life, um, and uh, you know, and, and it'll just be an extraordinary success. And because of that, brilliant for Southern Africa. It, yeah, I, I think then yeah, it it will become an inspiration that spills over into other countries because once once you split South Africa up. And now you're left. Yeah, people say. I think Elon Musk tweeted the other day. Why don't we take? Why don't we take a country in half and and let the communists have one half and the and and the capitalists have the other half and come back and see what's happened? Well, let's do it here. And that's exactly what we're going to see. That all of a sudden, the South African government is going to have absolutely no excuses because. Western Cape, well, they had apartheid, they had this, they had that. Yeah, all of the things that we've had, they've had. So how? So suddenly, if we're growing at ten percent and we become a first world country, uh, then then all of the excuses are gone for South Africa. So obviously, then self inflicted. And not even the government will be able to. Well, will, of course, but yeah, it shouldn't be able to deny it. Yeah, and I, th I think as well, one thing you alluded to is I think the property market here would go bananas because all of a sudden you feel super comfortable putting capital into the country because right now as a foreign investor, if you look at it, you have capital controls to bring money in. There is, it might not be actively talked about, but there is the specter of land uh, expropriation and you need you need strong property rights as the basis for a functioning uh, democracy and a functioning uh, um, capitalistic economy. And, and yeah, I think I think property would go because the, the weather and the terrain and the like the, the microclimates that are here and the ability to grow things and and yeah, the, 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 it's 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 got a on paper it's got so much going for it that uh, it's it's heartbreaking to see when it's uh, not being capitalized on. 
Yeah, I'm absolutely. And, and and there's a colossal human suffering. You know, obviously, you know, we 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 are both living in a in a in a relatively privileged part of that, and there are people who are living in terrible conditions. And and actually, the, the beauty thing is, without us having to resort to ridiculous left wing policies, we can very very quickly lift those people out of of, of poverty. You know, at the end of the day, that it, it it really isn't rocket science. It's it's you know, the potential is is overwhelming. I mean, for, even when you talk about housing, and we've got this, you know, people come and they'll see they come to Cape Town, they'll see all of these. Anti towns and vast townships of of, of now. Yeah, first of all, let's say most of those are obviously set up illegally, and that shouldn't have happened. But even outside of that, one of the things that we have is our laws are so stupid in almost every way. We always find a way to lose. So, so, so now, what's the problem? Why can't we create housing? Well, it's impossible in South Africa to remove an unpaying tenant. Literally impossible. Mm-hmm. So, so now you have all of these people living in in desperate circumstances. The private sector is building zero houses. You know, you've got a million customers. The private sector would love to build houses, but nobody, but nobody, but nobody is building houses. You can only people who are building houses for that sector is the government who builds them for free and gives them away. Um, because the private sector won't, because because the government prevents the private sector from getting paid. And you know who's going to invest in housing stock? And um, if if you can't remove, if the, because then you have this massive culture of non-payment. So, 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 you know, these are the things that are just so easy to fix. If somebody can just apply one modicum of common sense and say, well, look, clearly, yeah, we, we need housing. We've got this chronic housing shortage. We've, we've got land. We've got developers. We've got everything. We've got capital. And all we haven't got is a workable business model because the law that's meant to protect people is doing more harm to them than anything that could possibly happen at the hands of a private landlord. Yeah. The Yeah. So I... Th- I think that uh, there's a lot of threads there that you just touched on. I, I, the, the one that I have left with, I emailed you about this one in, in the lead up to the interview, which is the transition following Mandela with Mandela and following it. Why did, why did the national party, why was it that there was this surface area that was left for the ANC to latch onto? You have a left-wing communist in its roots, um, political party that's going to come into power, and you have why? Why, why were things like Transnet or um, Eskom or South African Airlines? Why were they not privatized ahead of the uh, the end of apartheid? Sure, and look. So, so I have to say, first of all, I was never here during that period of time. I I, I came to South Africa in, in, in two thousand and four. So, um, but I, but I, but I, so, but I, but I can tell you, and, I, and it's one of the misnomers economically. The National Party was far left, not far right. And so the reason that it didn't is, is that the National Party and the ANC were two peas in a pod. You know, they both believed in the centralization of power. They, they, so, 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 so therefore, they were on the same page. And, and when you look back, you know, people weren't, you know, for me, it sort of been, it was quite shocking to come here. So, for example, let's take a sector like farming in the Western Cape. Now, the farming sector is a major opportunity here. About 50% of farms in the Western Cape are effectively fallow because they're no longer viable under the current system. They need to be changed because they came to to, 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 came to be under the National Party. What did you have? So the National Party, let's take, I live in a, in a, in a, in a grape area, fruit area. Um, so vineyards all around me. Uh, what happened in grapes? Uh, farmers, there was one seller. You sold your grapes to Carvia Fia, uh, the, the, the Cape Wine Cooperative, at a fixed price. So if you lived near me, you grew your grapes, uh, you got X per ton, the price was fixed, you always made a profit, you delivered your one product to your one supplier, got paid a set amount of amount, which you knew, and every single farmer made money because it was, there wasn't even a hint of a market economy in there. Um, and, and obviously, uh, that was how the National Party worked. Now, because they were so efficient, they made it work very, very well. It was incredibly efficient. And so, so, for, so for them, privatization was an anathema. Uh, you know, they, they no more believed in privatization than the ANC. The difference was they were very good at running things. Um, you know, and, and people will say, well, look, the National Party was corrupt. And I'm sure on the basis that politicians everywhere in the world are, are are corrupt and I, and I think you know if they were the, the, the national party killed you know might have stolen the golden egg or every third golden egg uh, the difference is the ANC just kills the chicken and and looks around to see who's going to provide the next one you know it, it, so so um, but 
there, there was no will for it, you know. And, and I think there were parties, like for example, the the, you know, the forerunner to the DA, who were trying to push for a federal system and push for change, but they were just outvoted, and the, the, the National Party and the ANC, to a certain extent, had elements where there were two peas in a pod. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So I. This has been amazing. I think we've covered a lot of different topics. What is the message? What? Yeah. What? 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 what, what I think there's two parts to your message. One part is the Western Cape needs to get out of South Africa ASAP. The second part is once once that happens, you would like to see the Western Cape be market friendly, welcome to uh, talented people, skilled people from all over the world, and to create a what you call uh, the lion of uh, the lion of Africa down here on the tip. Is that right? Absolutely. Economic lion. (laughs) Economic lion. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever ever worry about your safety in uh, South Africa? Like Andre de Reuter left. Um, Do you, yeah. Is that a concern for you as insofar as you're being an activist and talking about these sort of things? Because I think that's part of the rationale with the DA is they don't necessarily believe that the ANC would, adhere to or listen to uh, a referendum vote. Yeah, ironically, I don't think the ANC, as we alluded to earlier, the ANC aren't really the problem. I think the ANC, through gritted teeth and very begrudgingly, would listen to a referendum vote. I think the ANC has got enough of that legacy and, 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 a, and a sort of a view of itself and a place in the wider world in terms of its history that it would find it extraordinarily different, difficult suddenly to become the imperial power, you know, and, and, and effectively colonize the Western Cape. Or, you know, nobody wants us here, but we're going to force ourselves onto the Western Cape against their will, uh, extract their tax resources and so on, send our people down there. You know, that would be a very, very difficult thing for them to do. So I don't worry about the the, the ANC. I think it's the, the, the I think the more radical elements like the EFF are more of a threat. Um, so long as there's enough of the state capacity in place in the Western Cape, the EFF make absolute nonsense everywhere. And they've caused mayhem throughout the country, but they've tried it twice in the Western Cape. And both times they've come away with a bloody nose. And that's really great and at this point in time. So they're reluctant to do it here uh, because we still have relatively functional capacity. So that so the police has effectively uh, been able to contain them and to and, and, and quite unceremoniously to the point where their pride was, uh, was, was, was quite wounded, as did the Western Cape people, I have to say. They tried to. Uh, had one particular place called Brackenfell where they uh, tried to close down a school and, and came off badly second best when the parents decided that they were going to uh, physically deal with the, uh, the, the EFF. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know I, I believe we can do this and I believe we can do it relatively peacefully. I think we can do it peacefully. There'll be, there'll be side pockets from the likes of that. You know, I, 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 that doesn't worry me. Of course, you know, yeah, yes, this is a dangerous place to to, to be for anyone, um, and for someone like me who's an activist, of course, it's it, it is more dangerous. I I do get threats, you know. I I, I guess that goes with the, with the, with the territory. I can't say I like it, um, but I, equally, I, I I certainly am not going to let it stop me fighting for a better future for my for my family and for my children and for those uh, those around me and and you know. This feels like you know, that, that, that when they say, "Listen, you, know, you, you know, you can only pick one one hill to die on." This is my hill. You know, I've fallen in love with this part of the world. My, my you know, I've married a, an Africana. You know, she doesn't want to go anywhere. She's her family goes back four hundred years. My children are Afrikaans speaking. This is our home, and we're going to fight for it. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I hope that never comes to, to to a physical fight. I don't think it will come to a physical fight. But, but certainly, we're not going to be unfairly bullied out of pursuing Cape independence by threats from people who often are quite unintelligent and, 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 and pretty vile. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it happens. But I, but, but I, I trust that I'll be okay. Good for you. Good for you. It takes a lot of courage, really. Like, uh, yeah. What? What? Last question. I think we'll wrap. But like the the. The rate of firearm ownership or the rate of legal firearm ownership in South Africa coming from the States, something like 40 to 45 percent of Americans legally own a gun. I looked it up in South Africa. I think it's less than 10 percent. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because I think that. Yeah, if push came to shove, like people are going to have to fight and I don't know if they have the means to nor, nor do they have the will to. Maybe, maybe you disagree on that. Well, 
So, so the interesting thing is that that, that I, I don't think the fight will be around Cape independence. I, I, yeah, and, 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 and I've had reason to see this because these stirrings are starting. I've been quite, it's caught me, one thing that's caught me off guard, I, I, um, there's a section in, in 2018, um, 2014. There was, a, there was a, anyway. There was two two UN reports, one in 14, one in 18, around self determination. And one of them was a very interesting passage where where the uh, the, 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 the the report said since 1945, uh, almost every single conflict around the world has its source in the denial of self determination. And it was this argument, and it was a very important thing because a lot of people would say, "Look, oh, you you know, you want Cape Independence, you're 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 looking for trouble." And and actually, the United Nations were saying exactly the opposite. Saying, "Well, it's not people looking to assert their right to self determination. It's a problem. It's when countries deny people the right to live out their existence as they see fit, where problems start." Now, for me, that was kind of quite theoretical until I found myself in a, in a, in, a, in a very specific room. That I won't give details to, but extraordinarily powerful people, and then I found myself in a room where people were openly talking about civil war in South Africa. And, and it was shocking. And it wasn't in the context of Cape independence. It was in the context of the uh, the, 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 far, you know, the ANC effectively falling below 50%, the EFF coming to power, and then all of a sudden, now you have the seizure of farmlands, you, you, you have the claiming of property rights, you have opened uh, you know, you know, this person that's threatening the genocide of whites, and I can tell you that there is a mass arming going on of and mm. training of, 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 of minorities understanding and that ironically isn't in the western cape because our solution is cape independence so so i so is there a prospect of a civil war in south africa yes there is is that because of cape independence no it's not it's because of the reasons of cape independence because if in a country where 15 million people uh, are not black africans if you get a if you get an African for African dictator that comes to power that threatens genocide, so then he's going to have to deal with 15 million people who really don't like him very much, and uh, you know that is not a prospect that I then uh, any way appeals to me. It would be an absolute tragedy. Um, but actually, the lesson is comes back, and I when I heard those things, and I was in there, then I then I was instantly reminded of that section in the United Nations. It's deny, it's 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 not taking the steps that causes the war. You've got solutions in Cape Independence and other solutions around the country. And um, you know, if we don't take timelier steps now, whilst we can, and we deal with this democratically according to the constitution, peaceful yeah. vote, then then in ten years' time or fifteen years' time, we're going to deal with it in a far more unpleasant way. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, there's only two ways to solve a disagreement: it's either through words or force. And yeah. and if if words if words cease to work, then you're only left to force. It's also part of the reason, in my opinion, to just generally be in favor of free speech, which is that you need to allow people to be able to speak it out. Because if you shut down or shout down their point of view, then they're only they're only left with uh, force as a means of resolving their their problems. Cool. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate your time very much. I loved. The history lesson and the context as far as what's happening here in the Western Cape. I love it here and would love to see the Western Cape be independent. What can people do? If you're South African and you're a voter in the Western Cape, obviously support the referendum party. If you're outside of the Western Cape and you're South African or you're not South African, but you care about this part of the world, what can people do to help help, uh, help yeah. your efforts and help the referendum party? So, so well, so so as you say, in the Western Cape, vote for us. Outside of the Western Cape, you can still vote for us. We'll be on the national ballot. So, and 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 you know, I often I use the expression. I often think of the Western independent Western Cape as kind of as Israel for the Jews. You know, you don't need to be, you don't need to live in Israel to 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 benefit from its existence as a Jewish person. And I think these ideological minorities in 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 West in in, in South Africa. Uh, will benefit greatly from having an ideological homeland, this kind of Western-leaning section, who, who, who not only are a, are a, are a haven and a, and, a, and a safe haven in a time of crisis, but you've also got an ally, you've got a neighbour who basically is going to have the ability to project real force. Um, so therefore, you that yeah that that's really really important. And ironically, outside, there's a big role for the international community. So in terms of the states. 
I think there's an awful lot to be doing. You know, why will the ANC ultimately grant Cape independence? Because it will get lent on by the by by its international allies and the US probably more than anything else is is critical. And I've been surprised actually. I don't know. Maybe you go, but I, but I would have thought they would have got to my door. Uh, and, and they haven't. Um, you know, I'm, I've been amazed at how slow the US and other countries have been to recognise the strategic significance of Cape Independence. I mean, here you are, the Suez Canal is, is in control of, of, of BRICS. Um, you've, you've, you've got Southern Africa in the control of BRICS. Then here you have this liberation movement uh, on the southern tip on the Cape Sea route. You know, it's it's that you know, and in twenty years' time, you know, the U.S. will have no allies here. So I, I've yeah. always been amazed that the U.S. has taken such a handoff role. And 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 in your audience in the states, I would say, look, get involved. And you, you know, never mind our interests. The U.S. has got interests here, and 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 and, and it should be recognizing that because. Because you know, there's a very, very limited time window here to secure this Western footprint and on the on the on the African continent. And when it's gone, it's gone. You know, and, and then yeah. and then you've got BRICS co- controlling the, the Suez Canal and the Cape Sea routes. And, and you know that that that, that is a, a position that I don't think is is a healthy one for the world. Yeah, it's a geo it's a geopolitical imperative, if for no other reason than the the, the policymakers in the U.S. should be paying attention to this and. I think they just generally, the, the, the policymakers in the U.S. by and large are left wing, and that they would not, uh, um, yeah. The, it, but I agree with you. I understand the points, and I think uh, if you look at a map, the U.S. needs to be actively supporting Cape Independence. So, thanks for your time. I will include, yeah, links to the Facebook page and to you and CIAG and all the different. Let's call it um, uh, the web of activism. Yeah, that's uh, generally pushing for Cape Independence, and we will be here for the election. And hope uh, hope for you to get your seven percent. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate All it. All right. Thanks, Phil. Bye bye. Hi again, folks. If you enjoyed the show, I've got a favor to ask. Would you mind leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever platform you've been listening to this podcast on? Every one of those helps. If you didn't like the show or if you've got feedback about it, let me know via the contact form on spreadgreatideas.org. I'd like to hear from you as far as what can be done to improve. Again, if you enjoyed the show, then please help out by spreading the word. If you didn't, let me know how to improve it. Thanks a lot for your attention, and I hope you'll check out the next one.